Well, good morning, Village Church. It is great to see you this morning. Uh, welcome to our Advent season. We are going to be taking the theme of hope uh, all the way through from this Sunday until we get to Christmas Eve. And I uh, hope you're already thinking about some friends that you can invite to Christmas Eve. It's going to be a wonderful uh, day. We're going to have several services that day so we can make sure that we fill up each one of the services that we have. And if you have friends or family uh, that you'd like to invite, uh, we, would, we would highly advise. That would be a great way to, uh, to bring them out at Christmas Eve. We're trying to make it uh, early so that you can be with friends and family in the evening uh, afterwards as well. So hopefully you're looking forward to that. Hope is going to be our, um, our journey uh, all the way through. And uh, as we talk about the uh, Advent today, we're going to be talking about an interesting theme when it comes to this idea of hope. Um, let me, uh, let me just say, first of all, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the uh, pastor of the church plant that Village is doing, uh, Village Church East, and we're excited about that. Uh, in a couple of months, we'll be uh, planting our own, doing our own church services in uh, Carroll Stream, Lord willing. That's where we're moving to. And uh, so we're excited about that, and I know a lot of you are on board with us, praying for us and uh, uh, investing time, and, and some of you are, are helping us with our church services that we're doing on Saturday night already, and, uh, uh, and, and the Harvest Dinner helping us get our startup costs together. We just want to say thank you. It's been a wonderful journey already, and we're looking forward to great things in 2017. Um, let me introduce you to a, a powerful passage of Scripture that, um, that talks about this aspect of hope. It's in Romans chapter 15, and you wouldn't necessarily think that an Advent message would come out of the book of Romans, uh, but here it is, Romans 15 and verse 13. It's a prayer uh, that Paul stops in his writing, and he's talking about God incarnate through Jesus Christ, God with us. He's talking about Jesus being given to the Gentiles and Jesus being given to the Jews, and then he stops, and he gives this prayer in Romans fifteen thirteen: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We talk about God as, as a God of love, a God of peace, a God of joy, and all of those things are true. Uh, God who is worthy, we even sung about that this morning. But how often do you hear about God introduced as the God of hope? When we talk about this, this subject of, of Advent, we're meant to be drawn into this aspect that God is a God who delivers on His promises. If you're hoping in what God can do in your life, you're hoping in a sure thing like Donald Trump. You're hoping... <laughs> sorry, I had to get that out of the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> How many people would have lost that bet? All right, so you're hoping... In a, I have no preference in the election. I'm Canadian. You people do whatever you want in America. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing what you hope for and you don't necessarily get, or you do get... And it's like, have you ever seen so many hopeless people in, in the world after the election? They're going around the street, the world is burning, the sky is falling, we're hopeless. Why are you hopeless? Donald Trump's the president. Seriously? I mean, that's your greatest hope? Is who's going to be the president of the United States? Let me read this for you one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is my next favorite part, you might... What's the next word? Abound in hope. We don't just have a little bit of hope. We abound in it because we live under a God of hope. This passage of Scripture 
um, is one that can encourage us no matter where we are in life or what we're hoping for in life because we are reminded that God is a God of hope who helps us in delivering in his promises so that we can have hope in our lives. So I have to give you a, a little story. God is also a God who has a sense of humor. We went down to Florida and broke every Thanksgiving rule that there could possibly be by having our uh, Thanksgiving day in the pool of our hotel. I would highly recommend it if you're up for something different, by the way. It was wonderful. I told the kids, I said, you can eat anytime, but how often can you sit in a pool in Florida, right? So we decided to go down there. We came back, and uh, because we were driving, we did 22 hours straight on the road. Uh, we, we, came back, <coughs> we came back yesterday uh, to do the service last night. We did a Saturday night service here. And so I had timed it so that I was ma- making sure if we left at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we would get home and I'd have enough time for like a three to four hour nap. And then I could preach last night and then twice for you today. So that's what I was, that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for that. So we get back, and, and we made great time, uh, and I was really impressed. We actually made it in like 19, 20 hours, something like that, maybe a little bit more. And uh, we, we got out of the car, we unloaded the car, and then I had to run some quick errands, so I took Abby with me. And, uh, and as we were driving, Beth was supposed to use the van, of course, and the, she's always worried about the tires, and we got a little slow leak. So, so I thought, I'll get the tires filled up, and I'll show Abby, because she's just learning how to drive. She, and by the way, she's a great driver. Uh, she, she really is. She's way, way better than I was at her age. Of course, I'm a boy. And uh, <clears throat> we, so I thought, I'll teach her how to put air in her tire, right? That's good for dad to do. So we went into the, uh, uh, the, the uh, gas station, and I said, okay, here's how you do it. And we put the little nozzle on the little lippy thing and um, the valve stem. I never remember. Valve stem. And I'm pushing it on, and the, the machine is not a good machine. So you got to twist it around so that the, the air can go in the tire. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is taking longer than I hope. I only get like three hours to have a nap. And so let's hurry it on, hurry on. And so the thing just goes up, ding. It was like at 29. It goes ding, 30. And, and then so I said, okay, now, Abby, you try it. So Abby puts her hand on it, and I said, just twist it around. It's not a very good machine. And so ding, ding, gets up to 34. All right, we're done. She pulls it off, and the valve stem flies across the parking lot. And I'm thinking to myself, so, and then air is flying out of the tire. And, I, and with every ounce of air that's flying out of the tire, I'm thinking, that's five minutes of my nap time. That's five minutes of my nap time. That's five minutes. So I, I had a brilliant idea. I thought, okay, here's what I need to do. I'll force the air into what's left of the valve stem, and then we'll drive. Because I don't want to put on a spare. T- Have you ever taken a spare tire, a tire off a Chrysler? Chryslers are terrible for where they put the spare. This is, these guys that you know never drive in their lives d- d- decide they're, we'll put it under the driving wheel. It's terrible. So I thought, I'll take the, so I shoved it back on, and, and by that time it was down to seven. So I'm, I'm pushing it on, and it goes up eight. I'm going, oh Lord, please, nine, ten, oh, a little bit more, a little bit more, I just need a little bit more, eleven. I said, that's good, pulled it off, and I stuck the cap on. And I'm hoping that the cap will keep the air that's in there, in there. And, and it, it did a little bit. It did, I could hear it. It was going out a little. So I said, Abby, in the van, in the van, in the van. So we jumped in the van and we, we went through the parking lot. I'm, I'm driving now on the main road, praying that I won't have a spare, t- a, a flat tire on the main road, because that would be worse. But this should work. So I, I, and it did, and it did all of you naysayers. I made it to 
they, uh, to a place that sold tires, and we walked inside. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, please, just give me, all right, reduce it down to two hours. Can I just have two hours of sleep before I have to preach? And we went in, and, and he said, okay, you need this new thing, and I'll, I'll charge you this. And uh, so finally... <clears throat> I called Beth, who was, by the way, sleeping, and I woke her up. And I said, you got to pick me up. Bad things happen. I don't want to tell you about it because I'm in a bad place. But pick me up. And so she came over and picked me up. We went home. We got a couple hours of nap nap time. Picked the thing up at 4.30. I was supposed to be here at 4.30. Matt was thinking, are we even meeting tonight, right, weren't you, last night? Finally, everything, everything worked out in the end. But I have to tell you that God has a sense of humor because the message that I was doing was on this very subject. What do you do when your hopes don't turn out like you think they should and you're left in a holding pattern? Have you ever seen this on your computer? Does this irritate you as much as it irritates me? <laughs> this little spinny thing. And you're thinking to yourself, please start. Just start. What, who came up with this, right? Just a blank screen is fine. Just, or like little animals running back and forth or something. But this, this irritates me to death. And I just spin. I feel like this happens so much in life and I'm constantly in a holding pattern waiting for God to do what I think needs to be done so that I can get to where I need to be. And I'm just in this holding pattern. And so the message that I want to bring to you this morning is a message on what do we do when God asks us to wait? This is one of the most difficult messages to do because God has a sense of humor. If you pray for patience, what's going to happen? Yeah, you know, yeah. So if you do a message on waiting, what's going to happen? Valve stems fly across the parking lot. That's what's going to happen. Sometimes in life, we, we wait for things and they don't turn out like we think that they should. And instead of enjoying the journey or seeing God's hand in the journey, we're so focused on what we think the end project should be, we get frustrated, disappointed, and even discouraged in the process. And we miss the hand of God and what He's actually doing. Has this ever happened? Has what you ever waited for finally arrived and it wasn't what you expected it to be? Isn't that a pain in the rear end? I think that's the first time I ever said rear end from the front of the, in a message. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Let's edit that out. But it is a pain though, right? When something that you hope for finally arrives and it's not what you hope for, like the relationship you think will change your life and it doesn't, or it changes it for the worse. Or the degree you hope to get that will take you through life but ends up being something you, you pay for the rest of your life and never end up using. Or... Things in your life that don't quite turn out to be what you think they should be. You ever watch Christmas Story? You ever seen that? Ralphie, you know? What's he waiting for? Do you remember? He goes to the mailbox every day, opens the mailbox, sticks his hand, and what's he hoping for? Orphan Annie. Decoder ring. You remember this? He pulls it. Finally, he, every, every day he comes home, opens the mailbox, not there. Open the mailbox, not there. Open the Finally, it's there. He pulls it out. He feels around. It's the decoder ring. He runs up to the only place where a young man can have some privacy, which is the bathroom. And he pulls out his page of paper, and he begins to decipher with his decoder ring, and he finds out what he had waited for all of these weeks was nothing more than a silly Ovaltine advertisement. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. This is life as we know it. And I think, um, I think Solomon came up with a great phrase that we end up using a lot, 
but it's found in uh, Proverbs 17 and verse 24. Listen to what Solomon writes. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Do you know what the ends of the earth is? It's this statement that we always use. If only I could have this, everything would be great. Or if only I could have this, everything would make sense. The phrase we constantly use is, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. The foolish always turns his eyes toward the end of the earth. If only we could have this, everything would finally make sense. So let me ask you this question. Let me just flip the question on its head and ask you this. Have you ever considered God might be spending your entire life attempting to convince you that you can trust him in the wait? That you can trust him as you're waiting for whatever might be coming? And because we're trusting in something different, we might miss him a lot during our wait. So our topic for the day is, what do we do when we wait for God? First of all, let me, let me encourage you with this phrase. Waiting for God can be making me wiser. The wait that I'm in right now, this holding pattern that I'm in right now, that I perceive to be a holding pattern, may not actually be that. It may be God is attempting to make me wiser in the wait. Foolish people always run from one thing to another, and they look for things that will give them satisfaction, and they write songs on it because they find out that when they get whatever they're hoping for to bring them satisfaction, they can't get no satisfaction, right? So this is a common theme for our world today. There's an inscription in South Dakota written on a, a, a piece of bark by an old uh, beleaguered prospector, and it says this, I lost my gun, I lost my horse, I'm out of food, the Indians are after me, but I got all the gold I can carry. And we put our eyes on the things that we think will get us through, when in the meantime, God might be pulling things away from us to teach us different things in the process to make us wiser. Jesus actually said it this way in Matthew 6 and verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart or what you hope in, there your heart will be also. So what are you hoping in? In God's great providence, He has given you His Word that records for you reasons you can trust Him now, reasons that uh, you can trust Him now based on His faithfulness in the past, and promises for your future. The Bible that you're holding in your hand, in God's good providence, gives us all the promises that we need to make us wiser in the wait, to make us wiser through life. Let me pull one of these illustrations out of Scripture and introduce you to a man named Simeon. Simeon was introduced to us in the book of Luke chapter 2. So if you want to turn there real quick, Luke chapter 2 is our main passage this morning. I want to start reading for you at Luke 2 verse 25. Introducing to you this man named Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
Now, typically when we read this, it sounds like Simeon is an old guy. It sounds like he's a priest, maybe. But in actuality, he's none of those things. Simeon was a general name, like like Larry or Bill. Simeon was a normal, everyday name. This guy was not introduced to us as being old or a priest. He was simply a devout follower of God. He was an everyday, devout follower of Jesus Christ. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what's the consolation of Israel? You already know this, actually. How many of you have heard the Handel's Messiah? You've heard the Handel's Messiah before? Well, the Handel's Messiah, you have uh, this, this song in there, Comfort Ye My People. This is a, out of Isaiah chapter 40. It's the same word used there, Comfort Ye My People. Isaiah chapter 40 is talking about the consolation of Israel. Here's what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended and her iniquity has been pardoned. Now, this is also the passage where the hills will be brought low and the, and the valleys will be lifted up and your paths will be made straight and God will bring blessings. This is a passage talking about the arrival of the Messiah. God's promised one, which is what Messiah means, promised one. It is, by the way, also what Christ means. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Did you know that? Like Craig Jarvis, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the promised one. And so when we read this, we understand Isaiah 40 is talking about the Messiah to come, or the Christ that would arrive. Uh, All kinds of Jewish people constantly prayed this prayer. They prayed it every year. Isaiah 40 was written 700 years before Simeon ever was born. So for 700 years, the Israelites would pray this prayer, believing in their heart that the Messiah would come. The difference is when Simeon prayed this prayer, he prayed it actually believing it might happen in his lifetime. Can you imagine praying for something you actually believe might come true? This was Simeon. Simeon was the kind of guy that he was a devout follower of God. And he actually prayed this prayer believing that God would fulfill it, maybe even in his lifetime. So, in verse 26, God does one better for Simeon. He visits him in some way. We're not told exactly how. But in verse 26, we're told that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, promise one. Can you imagine waiting for this? Can you imagine receiving this promise for God and every day hoping that today would be the day? Can you imagine praying for something and thinking to yourself, this might actually happen today? This was Simeon. Maybe it's going to be today, and it's going to be a great day. But the promise took a long time. But God is a God who keeps His promises. And He rewards those who follow Him in faith. And in the process, the reason we pray for things is so that God would intervene and say, yes, no, or just wait, or wait a little longer. But ultimately, we're expecting God to be answering those prayers. But the reason that we pray for those things is because we actually believe God can do those things. And if we're not praying for those things, maybe we don't believe that God can actually do those things. In fact, in Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. As I live my life in an aspect of faith, I'm praying, I'm living it in such a way that those things that I hope for will actually come to pass. I'm compelled to acknowledge that I don't acknowledge my compelling God as much as I should. In my life, I get so wrapped up in the details of the Jarvis life that I miss out on what God is doing all around me. And it's only natural because we're fallen. We live in a fallen world. God's blessings are constantly pouring over our lives. In fact, God's blessings are constantly pouring over the lives of the people that don't even like Him. God's blessings fall on the just and the unjust. But it takes eyes of faith to be wise enough to acknowledge those blessings happen every single minute. Even when I don't think the things that should be happening are happening, like valve stems flying across the parking lot, maybe God even has something there for me to see. And it doesn't make sense. Not to me. It is a foolish person that doesn't recognize the hand of God on a regular basis. It's a foolish person who declares that all things exist since the beginning of time with no interaction from God, but is a person of faith that realizes there's something greater going on in the wait. Here's a verse for you you already know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with, remember this, all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In how many ways, church? In all your ways. Acknowledge what He's doing. And He will make not your promises that you hope for come true, but He will make your paths to get there straight. Waiting on God can make me wiser because I can see His hand every day. But waiting on God can also make me stronger. Simeon believed in the promises of God so much so that every morning he woke up and he th- he's thinking to himself, Maybe today's the day. Maybe today is the day that God brings the Christ and I get to see him. Now, I don't have time to read it, but between verse 21 and 22 is about 40 days. 21 says how Mary and Joseph bring Jesus for circumcision. There's about 40 days, and then there's another ritual, verse 22, where Mary brings Jesus, but it's not for Jesus, it's for Mary. Mary brings another offering. It's an offering of purification. This offering is done for the sins of the mother. It has nothing to do with the child. It has everything to do with the mom. So Mary brings an offering of purification in verse 22. And what does she bring? Can you read it there? You can bring a lamb or you can bring a turtle dove for a, for a, ritual, of persecution, uh, for a ritual of purification. The lamb costs about, uh, let me see here, the lamb costs about $2. A turtle dove costs about 16 cents. So what does Mary bring? Mary brings a turtle dove. What does that tell you about Mary and Joseph? They're poor. You, you could only bring a turtle dove if you were poor. They were poor, they bring it. Also, Mary brings an uh, offering of purification that has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with her sins to make her pure before God. So what does that tell you about Mary? Was she sinless or sinful? Sinful. Yeah, it's not, not that hard to figure out. The only person standing in this courtyard that was sinless was Jesus Christ. Mary brings this offering in. She sacrifices it before God. And this is where Simeon comes into the picture. I am amazed that Simeon was even at the temple that day. I don't even know why he was there. We're not told. 
The Spirit drew him and he was there. And why would he have paused in this court? When the women came in, they could only stay in the outer court. Then you go in a little further and you get the, the men could come in a little further than the women. And then if you were a priest, then you could go in a little further. And then if you're the high priest, you could go in even a little further. Simeon's not even with the men. Simeon's way outside with the women in the outer courtyard. And it's at that time, Simeon was in the right place at the right time, that God lifts his eyes up and opens them up, and he looks across the courtyard and he sees Jesus Christ. And it's like God speaks to him and says, there's the one that you're waiting for. Can you imagine what that would have been for Simeon? Imagine what that... I I can't even imagine all that time, all those years of his ancestors praying, and he's the one that sees the Christ. He picks up Jesus, and he blesses Jesus. And then he says, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is not a declaration that he wants to die. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is not saying, okay, now kill me. The greatest thing in my life has ever happened. Take me now. What he's saying is, Lord, you have fulfilled your promise to me that I would see the Messiah, and I have seen him, and I have held him, and I have blessed him. There's nothing greater in my life that could possibly happen than this. And then we're introduced to one other lady, one other person. Her name is Anna. In the Hebrew, it's Hannah. But in the Greek, it's Anna. And this person is a strong follower of Jesus Christ. Simeon is the wise follower. Anna comes across, <coughs> across to us as an incredibly strong follower of Jesus Christ. We're told only a few things about Hannah or Anna. We're told that she is a prophetess and she's very, 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 very old. Now you might think that I'm over exaggerating this. Wait till I read it for you. It's in Luke 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, there you have it, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. How old is Anna? 84. The Bible says she's old. It tells us she got married when she was probably 14 or 15, which was normal in those days. She got married young. She would have lived with her husband for seven years, so she's 21, 22, and then he would have died. I don't know what happened to him, but something happened to him. And then she's left for six, six decades alone. You don't marry widows in this day. She's left alone. Rome didn't take care of widows in this day. For six decades, she's had to scrape by through life in order to survive. This woman could have turned into a bitter old Naomi. Do you remember Naomi in the Old Testament? God took away everything from me. Call me Mara, which is the word for bitter. She didn't. Anna was not like Naomi. Anna was different. Anna was not decreased in her faith. Her faith increased. She grew stronger in her testimony for God. In fact, she turned into a prophetess that worked for God, and she told everybody God's promise was coming, hope in God. She's advanced in years, and she had followed God for a long time, but through six decades of life, her faith grew and strengthened 
to where we have it in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer. How often? Night and day. Do you get the idea that she's at the temple a lot? Why? Because she's waiting for God's promise to be revealed. She was resolved to see and recognize the promise of God in her lifetime so that when the Messiah showed up, she didn't want to miss it. And when Anna, saw the pro, uh, when Anna saw Mary with Jesus, she was right where she needed to be. I think it's also interesting that God doesn't choose a rabbi or a, a Chuck Swindoll or a, 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 a John uh, MacArthur. He doesn't choose the greatest uh, theologians of this day to show up and say, there's Jesus, he's the Messiah. God chooses an old lady who has been beaten down by life, but her faith was high, strong. And he chooses Simeon, some generic but devout follower of Jesus, strong, so that he could put those two people in the right place at the right time so that they would declare to all of Israel the day had arrived. Don't you think that's wild? Why wouldn't God choose somebody of worth? or important, but instead he chooses a general follower like Simeon and a a lady who is widowed like Anna. Her strength had grown through time to the point where when Jesus arrived, listen to what she said, verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were, what church? Hmm. This woman began to speak of Jesus Christ to all who were still waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman was chosen to be used by God to speak of God's redemption, that it had arrived, and you don't need to wait any longer. Last point, waiting for God. And this is what brings us to today. will always bring hope. It always will. Have you ever considered how hope and trust are the same thing? What you hope in is what you trust in? Do you, have a, do you have a dollar bill in your pocket or a coin? If you do, pull it out. Would you do that for me? I, I know it should be in the offering plate, but let's assume you didn't put it in there. Uh, so pull out a coin, or any coin, anyone, or a dollar bill out of your pocket or you know, anything. I'm not taking another collection. I just, this is for an illustration, all right? This is for, yeah. So uh, what I want you to do is look in that coin, and there's a phrase on your coin. See the phrase on there? What does that phrase say? In God we trust. That phrase is on there so that we are reminded that the things we use to get through life, we don't trust in. The things we use to get through life, that's not where our trust in. We understand that it is God in whom we trust, not in these things. Did you know in God we trust is a phrase that came from the Revolutionary War? Uh, People constantly said it. It became such a normal phrase during the Revolutionary War that it became the official motto of the United States. Dear Americans, do you know that you have an official motto of the United States? You probably don't because you grew up in the American school system, which needs some work, but uh, the, the official motto of the United States, official, is in God we trust. It was made that... Uh, official motto because the people in control at the time wanted to make us unique from every other nation on the planet. They wanted us to make, make us unique so that we understood that we're not like the atheistic nations around us. We trust in God. Unless you think that that has somehow lost its 
flavor. Let me give you a few details. This became the official motto of the United States in 1956. Now, lest you think we've kind of lost, lost some fervor there, in 2006, on the 50th anniversary, the Senate reaffirmed this as the official motto of the United States. And in 2011, the House again passed a bill that made this the United States' official motto, um, and the vote was 369 to 9. If this is what our nation, our leaders, as interesting and unique as they may be, if this is what they think our motto should be, church, don't you think this should be the motto of the church? Don't you think we should lead the way in a world, not just in a nation, but in a world that is longing for something to trust in? Should we not lead the way and say, God is a God who, of promises, and God is a God who keeps His promises. You can trust God. Don't trust in other things. Don't put your hope in the end product. Believe that God is doing something right now. When valve stems fly across the parking lot, maybe God is doing something right now, trying to teach you something right now, like you can trust Him. He has a plan. And maybe it's just to give you a really good illustration for the message you're about to do in a couple hours. I don't know. God is a God who can be trusted. And the church needs to lead the way in this world that desperately is looking for something to hope in. Have you ever seen so many families torn apart by an election in your life? All because we hope in this person or that person to lead us? How about this church? How about in God we trust? When God arrives in our lives, our vision, our our reason, our outlook on life changes. Our hope changes. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12 it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. At one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. And at that time you had no hope and you were without God in the world. I think that's also interesting. This is, this, this is not, a, we, we had no hope because we were without God in the future. This is talking about now. People who live in this world now without God do not have hope. It's no wonder they put hope in everything else. This is not hope for the future. This is hope for the world today. And this Advent season, as we come to this moment, it is our reminder that God makes promises and God keeps promises. He gave us Jesus Christ. How much more will He not also give us all things? God keeps His promises. And that's why in Hebrews 10 and verse 23, it says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised past tense is faithful he promised us jesus christ and he will be faithful today his oath his covenant his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way don't you feel like that on a regular basis when your valve stem gives way when all around my soul gives way He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All of the promises of God can be taken to the bank because He has given us Jesus Christ. This is why in uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's Jesus Christ. God has given us these 
the, the promise of Jesus Christ fulfilled his promise so we can trust him to fulfill every other promise with it. Here's the thing about Bethlehem on Christmas night, Christmas Eve. Everybody's sleeping. Everybody's snoozing. Jesus comes. These good Jewish people have prayed this prayer their whole lives. God, may come in my lifetime. May the consolation of Israel finally arrive in my lifetime, Lord. Make it happen. And when it did, they slept. And they woke up the next day, and the same people were in charge, and they had the same relationship issues, and they had the same financial issues, and they had the same hopelessness. And in the meantime, their hope had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. And while the angels sang, hope arrived, and humanity slept. The only people that showed up for Jesus on that day were shepherds, these poor lowlifes in the field who couldn't get a real job. So God brings shepherds in, and they acknowledge that Jesus' hope had arrived. I'm amazed at how hopelessness reigns in the world around me, and it always has. But I'm here to tell you this morning that hope, reasons for us to have hope, hope has arrived. God makes promises, and he keeps every one of them. And if you pray to God that God would do something in your life, it may not turn out exactly like you want it to. You may not get the three hours of sleep you absolutely need. Valve stems are going to blow. But maybe in the hours in between during the wait, God has something for you to experience, to grow stronger through, to grow wiser through, and to become, for God's sake, a light of hope to a world desperately looking for hope. Hope has arrived, and maybe we just keep missing it. You don't have to keep waiting and searching anymore. You want to know love? God is love. It's right here. You want to know peace? It's right here. You want to know how to live victoriously in life? Look in your Bible. It gives you every, every way to overcome in this life, to bring you hope in this life as well as the next. You want to know God? He is the author and the finisher of every faith represented in this room of our faith in Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you, just go to your Sunday school teacher. Want to be stronger and wiser in your faith? Read the Bible and pray. Doesn't that sound like such a Sunday school answer to give? Maybe we should do it more because that's when we increase in our faith and our eyes open wide to see what God is doing, not in the future, but maybe right now. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for your promises that you keep, that you make promises, and you keep everyone. Some of us in this room, I'm sure, feel like we're in a holding pattern. Probably a lot of us. We've got our eyes set on the goal, when in reality you might be trying to teach us something in the process, in the wait. So Father, help us to just take a step back after this message this morning to learn something from Simeon and Anna to believe that the promise is coming, but to realize that maybe there's something in the journey that can make me stronger and wiser, to become more of a light, a light of hope to a world of hopelessness. Thank you for this Christmas season. Oh God, where would we be without your son, Jesus Christ? Thank you for sending him that he lived a sinless life and he died a sinless death and he gave us a way back to the Father, back to you. 
I pray that if anyone missed that this morning, the message of the gospel would be loud and clear through this Advent season, and that you would turn many in this hopeless world, many hopeless hearts, back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.